How about we start with Sandra? Sandra, I want to know, what did you bring? Well, I brought, uh, sorry, just this, oh, here it is. I brought pictures, can you see my screen? It's coming up, it's coming up, boom, there it yep. is. I bought pictures of my brother, Norman, uh, who, uh, we were so close. We were, uh, he was born in, I was born in January. He was born in September and we were very, very close. He's, um, he's deaf and he passed away in 2020. And, but he's always in my heart everywhere I go. He's doing the sign right there for, I love you. Yeah. Um, and I bought two pictures of my son, Nelson. Uh, this is my favorite picture of him. He's in his element. He's outside. He's in the water at the beach on his birthday. He's just the happiest dude ever. Aww. And this is a picture that we used when um, I had some interviews on television when he was in the hospital with COVID. Mm. And this is a totem that he bought me when Nelson was very small. When he was young, he was very small. He was very short. He was very light. And he was very fast. And he could run like nobody's business. Roadrunner. And, and so when he went to, um, he was homeschooled for a while. And so for a science trip, they went to New Mexico, from Maryland to New Mexico. And when he got to New Mexico, someone gave him a totem and said that he was a roadrunner. And so when he, uh, he brought this totem back to me and I've kept it ever since. It was about 13 or 14 when he got it. And... Um, he brought it back to me and I kept it with me uh, ever since. And it just reminds me of just how, how fast and carefree, you know, he was. Um, oh, good. We're going to, we're going to hear more about both your brother and your son. This is what well, you can already hear. This is going to be, I think a really powerful, maybe emotional conversation. Thank you, Sandra. You're welcome. Makako, what did yes. you bring? Okay, I am screen sharing as well. I brought a picture as well. Boom. This is Boom. me when, <laughs> when I was 15. And then you can see the, the phone. <laughs> you can tell how old I am. It's like at the phone. Right. And then this is uh, my little cousin who is 11 cousin. years younger than me. Yeah. Mm. What's your cousin's name? Done. Done? Dan. It's oh. like in English, it's probably more like Dan, right? <laughs> Dan. I love it. So we're going to hear more about Dan and that okay. phone <laughs> in just a moment. But I, first of all, just want to say thank you to the two of you for joining me for this episode of Not Quite Strangers. And for anyone else that's tuning in, my name is Valerie Hope. I am your host. And this is an opportunity in this podcast to bring two people together who have not quite met, <laughs> and we'll talk about that in just a moment, but also to ins inspire your curiosity and the curiosity of my guests, build connection, and more than anything, disrupt the status quo and what it's like to meet someone or get to know someone that you don't know very well, even better. That's the purpose. I brought these two very special ladies today because I've had the fortune of for almost what eight months nine months work together we all took a course with heroic public speaking so that we could hone our craft and build a message that was meaningful and in that process I got to know the two of you 
quite well, I would say quite well, or at least very intimately. There are some of the stories that you shared with me and, and with the rest of the group. And as I spoke to the two of you, I realized an instant connection between the two. But I realized that the two of you haven't spoken tons about, I don't think, some of these topics, perhaps, but I had the sense that it would be a great conversation to have on this podcast. Um, specifically, Sandra, you shared, and this is part of the speech that you were working on, you've been working on, is the journey that you took to be in, to, as an advocate for your son's life during the, the time that he was diagnosed and treated for COVID and his passing too, and everything that you went through was such a, a relevant, timely message and one that I really found that you had a lot of courage to think about and work on this message so shortly after everything that you'd experienced in his, you know, in, before his death, but also in leading up to that. So I just wanted to say thank you so much for allowing me uh, an opportunity to have that conversation with you in this platform. I think it's going to help a lot of people. And, and then, yeah, I couldn't wait. And then Wakako, for you, I just thought, okay, when you shared, and I think it was only in a really small moment. It was, there was a moment you and I were practicing and I asked you a few questions about why that message was important to you. You obviously have a message about um, helping parents that have children with, with ADHD or um, different um, neurodiverse children. And I kept asking you like, why? What is it about that? What is it about that? And you shared a story about your cousin. Mm-hmm. that I think um, will resonate for Sandra. Cause I don't know if Sandra knows this story yet. No, she doesn't. Oh, see, <laughs> and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is it. These are the two. Anyhow, so before we, we jump into all of that, I thought, you know, it'd be great for people to know why, why you said yes to being on the podcast. We talked a little bit about it earlier, but you're not, this is not a story or not a, not a conversation that you've had with each other and probably much less in, the, in this type of platform. So I'm curious about why you said yes to sharing. Sandra, let's start. Um, well, like I said, I, because you asked me so nicely <laughs> to do it. And I thought you, you know, we've met at HPS virtually. I thought that, you know, you were a great person. I wanted to get to know you better. And the only way for people to, uh, that don't already know the story to find out about the story is for me to talk about it. It is difficult. It is painful, but um, I think that people need to hear it. Um, some people need to hear it, um, and hopefully, it will help people. Um, my son was very much about helping others, and uh, so I want to honor his life uh, by um, doing what I can to help other people. Uh, advocate for themselves when they're having um, health issues mm. or have someone in a family advocate for them because sometimes you you know you can't advocate for yourself um, but so I am trying to come out of my comfort zone a little bit and do things different you know do different things that I've never done before so actually I thought this was a wonderful opportunity and I really appreciate you asking me so thank you 
Anytime. I will wait. Keep your thank yous until the end, just in case. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> we'll have fun. We'll have fun. Thank you, Sandra. Um, and Wakako, would you like to share why you said yes? Yes, it's just about the same as Sandra. Um, I I need to, you know, come out of my comfort zone, <laughs> right? And then uh, this was a perfect opportunity that you I, I know you and I know how good you are. You were you were the only person who got this story out of me. <laughs> I really haven't told many people about this and then the way you ask questions and you have something magical and then you know and then i know sandra's story just a little bit yeah so yeah why not okay. i mean this is so out of my comfort zone but ah. i'm going for it <laughs> step out of the comfort zone i love that message well i, I appreciate the trust that you put in me and in, in sharing this and then also i do think it's such a both of you have such powerful a, a powerful calling. I think that's really what I heard and saw in our conversation that I thought would be a meaningful conversation to have on this podcast is because both of you have been called to share a, a message. And I thought, well, hey, if I have an opportunity to not only provide this platform for you to share the message, but also to inspire each other in the process of doing so, then let's go to it. Um, so let, let's talk about the, so um, Sandra, you brought you brought your photos of your brother and your son. Tell us a little bit more about what they mean to you. What was it about your brother and your son? And obviously both of them passed last year in 2020. Uh, my brother passed in 20, 2020 and my son passed in January of 2021 on January 6th. Oh boy. Okay. So very recent. Talk, can you, what can you tell us about them? Well, my brother Norman was born uh, deaf. My he, even though my mother had uh, all of her vaccinations and everything, she still got exposed to rubella. She worked in a lab, maybe she got exposed there, we're not sure. But he was born at a time when there were lots of rubella babies in the United States. And, um, and it caused, he had some issues with learning and just you know being deaf and being black and, and uh, having health health challenges so I grew up you know with all the big sister not only just big sister but big sister of you know a, a brother that was disabled and uh his biggest threat I mean he he used to be a really skinny little dude but as he got older and bigger he was a you know pretty big and his biggest threat to people was I'm gonna tell my sister <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. I could see that. <laughs> That's how he would bully people in the playground. I <laughs> What's the age difference? Um, about 11 months. 11 months. Okay. So you, yeah, yeah so you guys you said you were born several months. Okay. Very, oh. very close. Uh, but just even something as simple as, you know, going to McDonald's and, um, him and the you know the the people well now COVID everything you do everything in the phone but then you know in the 60s and 70s you know going up to the counter and um me ask going through the process well what do you want and having an assigning and the person behind the counter being hurry up hurry up. I'm like no everybody else took their time we're going to take our time you mm -hmm. know 
or if he asks for a visual menu and they're giving him a heart. And I, I, you know, sometimes I would let him go and I would just kind of stand in the back and just to see how things were going. Um, and, you know, he'd ask for a visual menu. You have it written down, you know, and they would act like they couldn't read it or what do you want? Or, you know, just being kind of rude. And I would put up with it for as long as I could. <laughs> and then I would go in and say, you know, this person is disabled and this is not how you're supposed to be treating disabled people. You have visual menus for a reason. Hmm. And, um, you know, just trying to educate people kind of in a little bit of a rough way. <laughs> uh, because they were hurting, you know, they were hurting his feelings and, and being mean. Um, we always gave them the opportunity to do the right thing, but people didn't already always do the right thing. And then as he, as his health declined and he got more and more ill, there was more um, advocacy that I was doing for him, like in hospitals, at doctor's offices, all kinds of places. So um, he died on on May 17th of, of 2020. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother's house, uh, he was actually over at my house here the night before um, a few hours before, actually. And uh, I was fussing at him about, you know, staying home and, and you know, not catching COVID. And then at about uh, three in the morning, he texted me about getting some diabetic supplies for him. And I was kind of annoyed. And I thought, I almost texted him something back, like, why don't wake me up again? But then a couple of hours later, um, my phone rang and it was my son saying that the house was on fire and we went around there because I bought a house near my mom to help her with my brother and uh, we went around there and the house was on in, on in flames the flames were shooting out the front door there were helicopters there were police cars um I couldn't even get near the house you know we we had to park and um I kept trying to tell myself you know stay calm and just walk down there but I ran and um, my, my son and my husband and my mom and I stood there watching the house burn, knowing that my brother was inside and it was really hard, you know, um, they lost everything, they lost everything. So for me, that's really when the, when the, when the story started because um, when after the fire, they moved, my, my mother and my son moved into a two bedroom, two bedroom apartment and fortunately, you know, thank God for the Red Cross, they came and um, helped me get medication from my mom and dentures and, you know, things that she needed. But she went from having everything to nothing and, and lost her son. Um, she, she didn't even have a pair of shoes on. Um, my son did go back into the house after he got my mom out to try to get my brother out but he said the smoke was too thick and he actually had, you know, some burns on his face uh, from being in the house and trying to get my brother out. And unfortunately they weren't able to save him, he didn't survive. Um, and then a few months later, um, that was in May and then in September, my son came down with COVID. Man, what? There's one tragedy after the, the next. Sandra, I'm so sorry to hear that. I knew about your son. I had no idea about your brother. And the, it's a tragic, tragic accident. It's, it's, it's been, this is recent, right? This is still fairly fresh. It really is. And 
and I'm just out of curiosity, what is what is the emotion that you carry now? I know that you're you're a warrior woman, right? You're here to, <laughs> as an advocate, right? That's that's what you were like. Boom! I know my purpose. This tragedy is is taking you to towards a path to a calling. But I'm curious about emotionally how how are you processing all of that, or how did you process all of that? I'm still processing it. It's still. Uh... It was very traumatic, both of them, both of the tests were very traumatic for me. And so I was actually, I actually went to a grief and trauma, I got a grief and, I, grief and trauma therapist after my brother died because um, all my life I've lived, you know, I mean, I went away to college and been to Europe and stuff, but all my life I've basically been in this neighborhood and there's a fire truck, a firehouse right up the street. So I'm used to fire engines. But after the fire, um, one day I was coming home and a fire truck came down, came down the street and I started screaming and I couldn't remember my way home and I was on my, in my neighborhood. And I told a friend about it and he's like, you really need um, help <laughs> and you need uh, grief and trauma therapy, which most therapists are not trained in. And so um, he was very helpful in helping to find me someone that could take me right away and do it, you know, do it on, yeah. do it virtually. Um, so that's, and my husband is great. And um, the people that I work with, can I give a shout out to my school? Yeah. All right. Key school, Escuela <laughs> Key in, in Arlington, Virginia. They mm. were wonderful. They were mm. wonderful. I mean, they, um, we're so supportive. They sent us food. They sent us, um, just all kinds of things, you know, blankets, just love, yeah. uh, brought me, you know, little things from school all the time. It was great. People came to visit, even if it was just outside the door to say hi. And I just appreciated all of that. Um, and then a few minutes later, my son got sick and I was, I had gone back to work, um, but so every, you know, the, the, the grief and trauma therapy, my, my family, my husband, especially uh, my school, everybody getting together and supporting me has really been very, very helpful. Oh, um, huge. Oh, and not watching, the, not watching a lot of television, not watching the news, what was happening, you know, politically um, was also, I think, a good move on my part because it kept me from getting you know, triggered all the time. It, it, it really is, um, it really has been very difficult. Yeah. Oh, I, I can only imagine. Um, and I, I want to actually ask Wakako, what, what would you like to say? I, I see you nodding and, and obviously you've heard some of this before probably, but I'm curious uh -huh. about what's there for you. Yeah. I was like, it's one after another. Right. That, 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 that just is so, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> mm -hmm. But at the same time, I found another connection to you. Um, my sister, she's blind. She oh. wasn't blind from the, from birth, but she, she was diabetic because of her genetic thing. And then at the age of 30, she lost her, her eyesight. Oh, wow. And then she lives with my parents. And, you know, she's doing great. But I was like, oh, imagine that. Yeah. Another connection. Another connection. Another right. connection. Right. Yeah. I mean, That's your Disability, little Disability, diabetes. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah. And no, but it sounds like some shared, some shared experiences. I, I do want to say one comment, Sandra, and I remember in one of the groups where we were practicing um, in the speech writing course that you would ask to go, I think you asked to go last or something yeah. like that. I think that was the thing. Oh, she always did. <laughs> She's like, and I'll go last. And, and because, and I don't, these were not your words, but this is how I remember it. You were saying something like, <laughs> because when I give the, you know, when I give my speech or when I practice my speech, it kind of takes the air out of the room or something <laughs> like this. Uh, <laughs> that people are like, I don't know if I want to talk about taxes or, yeah. <laughs> you know, or joy or, you know, recycling <laughs> after you share. Um, so I, what I, and I, and I laugh now, but I just remember how responsible you felt for the experience and the listening of everyone else. No one asked it, no one requested it, no one expected to, but I can see your, I saw your tendency to wanna to care for other people. In just that very, that small moment, I could see your commitment was to make sure that everybody else was okay. And I appreciate that. And I also, I think told you like, that's not necessary. <laughs> We're big people. We don't, we don't need that, but thank you. I appreciate that generosity. Yeah. Well, I, I, I understand. And I, you know, some people had very strong reactions to some of the things that I wrote uh, and, um, as, and I was having a strong reaction and you just, I just keep it inside. You can't really see it. Um, but I, I didn't want to respect people's, you know, some people had some very light you know, um, subjects, and I wanted to let that go on and and, yeah. and get out there, get them a chance to practice that, because some people were affected uh, by it. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Ah, well, we're we're gonna continue to dig more. Uh, Wakako, let's let's turn to you first of all. Share share a little bit more about that um, your picture with Don, your cousin. Yeah. And also what about him made him so special to you? Yeah. Um, so he's my cousin and he's 11 years younger than me. So I've known him, you know, I've babysat him and I've known him ever since he was a baby. So, you know, he's more like my little brother. And um, that, that picture right there, he's like four. Mm-hmm. And I love little, little kids. <laughs> so, you know, I was just playing with him and then, he came to visit and it was summer and then he just, you know, got so tired and he was on top of me and then he just fell asleep. And, mm-hmm. you know, I just kind of remember that, you know? And um, so what happened was as we grew up, um, we lived in different cities, but when I went to college, I went to college in Tokyo, which was where he lived. And I lived across from his house so I was there all the time I was like eating dinner there I was doing the laundry there I was practically there like all the time and then I would go back to my room just to sleep so you know to a point where he thought I was his sister (laughs) he he had a sister but you know like he called me sis and yeah so he, he didn't understand you know the cousin or but anyway so I was there and then I was the only one who was interested in um, Nintendos and <laughs> comic books. Like, uh, what was that? Uh, what was it? The Dragon Ball. 
It's a huge comic book. <laughs> we shared the same interest. And then, you know, I would go out and buy those books for him because he didn't have money for it. And we would just hang out all the time. So, so we were really close. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And then, um, and then I, you know, went off college and I, I went on my way. So we kind of parted. But um, but he stopped going to school, I think, when he was like fifth grade. Mm. And, you know, I would hear these stories from my aunt and then from my mom and all that. And then and then he went on without going to school. You could graduate middle school in Japan because it's I don't know, obligatory. And then they, he went to free school. It's like out, uh, outside of the school system. It's like a private school where they don't really teach academics that much, hmm. but they might focus more on, you know, skills and sites. I don't know. Yeah. And then they, they live in this dorm hmm. and they live together. So, and then he went to high school like that. And then I knew he was doing not too bad you know he wasn't a regular go to you know go go to a company every day and then earn salary type of guy but I think he was making enough money and and then and then um I I, I live in Colorado but my family lives in Japan so every summer I would take my little my two kids and go to Japan for like two months, except for, you know, the last <laughs> two years. Mm -hmm. But every year I would go there for two months and then spend time with my family. Now, four years ago, I did that, made that trip. And then I got to my, my uh, mom's house and the kids went to sleep and I was with my mom alone. And then she drops this bomb on me. Like, well, I want it. Like, you know, I, I was waiting for the kids to go to sleep, but uh, your cousin just killed himself and we found him right when you were on the plane. And like that same know, day. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he did it there, you know, right, right then and there, but it, I think it's been a day or two before they found him because he was living alone. So, but yeah. <laughs> I'm jet lagged. I came all the way over and then boom. And uh, yeah, and you know, it, it, I, it didn't really occur to me that he had ADHD and it didn't happen chronologically, but four years ago that happened. And then, you know, there was, all sorts of, you know, what if I did this? You know, what if I called him more? What if, what if, what if? And then, you know, and then I, I, I was thinking about that. And then, you know, life happened. And I got really interested in, you know, kiddos, helping out kiddos and families with ADHD and autism. Mm -hmm. And as I learned things, all kinds of things started to reveal itself. And then, and then it dawned on me, like, oh my gosh, that had a lot to do with my cousins you know what what, what happened to him 
mm. ADHD and all of that. And then now that I understand it, I, you know, my, my drive to, to spread the word, <laughs> the message mm. has gotten even stronger because, mm. you know, <laughs> and then I have to watch out because in, in my mind, it's like, oh, you leave this alone, you know, he's going to die. And then I, I, I go into that, but I kind of have to, I've learned to, you know, mm. settle myself down. But yeah, that, that's what happened. And that's why I'm really passionate about spreading my message. That message. Was Dan on the spectrum? Was he on the autism spectrum? No, I don't think so. No, ADHD. I, but he, yeah, he, I think he was, he definitely had that. Although, you know, it was before such diagnosis was readily available. So mm. Mm. what was it that you saw or heard or learned mm. that made you so passionate? Like what was, what was the piece that lit that, that spark for you? For my interest? Yeah, your interest in, in wanting mm -hmm. to educate and advocate. Um, I, I started working at preschools. And the only reason was because I love little kids. And then because my kids were still in school, it was easy for me to work in the same school system. So we had the same vacation, all of that. So that was the only reason why I started doing that. And I was a substitute. And then as you know, I go into different classrooms, I noticed those kids, you know, who were not quite fitting in. And, and I don't know, I, I, I'm fascinated by how they work, how their little brain works, and then how authentic they are. I, I, I feel that I think. And, and then the more I, I noticed them, I'm, the more I was with them, I, um, it was apparent that it wasn't the best environment for them, even though I know, you know, all the teachers are doing their best and then, you know, they, they mean well, but, you know, school environment itself, there are so many kids, there are so many distractions and then, you know, you can't possibly be paying that much attention to each and every one of them. One of them. And then that's when I was like, no, this is not, this is really not helpful. Mm -hmm. So that's when I started to really dig in to what can we do? You know, how can we do this? I don't know, but yeah, that, that was my drive. Mm -hmm. um, yet another connection school, Cassandra, you teach, yeah. you teach English as a second language, correct? Yeah. yeah. So teach English learners, English learners. That's what it was. That's what, they're, that's what they're calling it now. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. What's your reaction, um, Sandra, to what, what Kako shared? I don't think you'd heard her story either, right? No. First of all, I'm really, you really do have my condolences. I'm so sorry. Um, I know once you're close to someone and you have that connection, um, it's hard to live without them. Um, so um, it's interesting now that you can see the the ADHD in other kids, just, you know, that you're, you know, just, just an observer or a substitute, not just as a substitute, but, you know, without anybody telling you, I'm assuming that, you know, this is the diagnosis or this is the issue with this child. You probably can, you know, you're probably very sensitive to it. Um, and we need that 
you know, teachers need that. We need to see, we need to other people's opinions mm -hmm. and their um, insight. Uh, I think that's really helpful. Um, I don't know, it's hard to see students in a situation that's already set up and as much as you try to do for them, as many services as you try to provide and as many supports as you try to put in, every situation is not for, or every child is not for that situation. Yeah. And um, trying to find some place that's the best um, setting you know, for that student can be difficult sometimes. Oh, yeah. And no, you might be seeing things that the teacher doesn't see or maybe even if the parent doesn't see. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I imagine that can be both rewarding and kind of difficult sometimes. <laughs> yes. But, you know, that's so interesting. You talk about this because my mom literally a couple of days ago shared, she's been on this kick. There's a, a documentary that was released I guess this past week called the wisdom of trauma. Have you guys heard of this? Oh my gosh. I translated that into Japanese. I put Japanese subtitle. You did? Page. Yes. Volunteer. Volu I, I volunteered. And then yeah. I had no idea how hard it was. <laughs> so it took me like three weeks. Wow. <laughs> okay. Now I have to work. go back. I have to go yeah. back and look at it. Cause I watched it. And my mom watched it. And then there was also throughout this past week, they were interviewing the, the two director, the executive directors of the film, put together panelists and speakers and all sorts of really interesting activities and exercises on a virtual platform where they talked about how trauma manifests itself. So my mother volunteers, well, she doesn't volunteer. She's, I guess, like a substitute, if you will, uh, in schools uh, in Alabama. She goes to different schools, works with primarily grade school through middle school age students, different schools at different times, and mostly with Spanish speaking students. So she's there to support them and make sure that they are getting what they need. If they need a translator for something or if their parents need some additional support, she's there to be an advocate. My mom likes to call herself a community community advocate. And she said recently that when she watched that film, she just realized how, how many young people were just so deeply traumatized by life. School is just another place for them to either get re-traumatized or someplace that we're not, they're not able to get the needs met and therefore their performance is impacted. But that trauma from whatever it is at home, whether that's you know some family issues, whether that's health, whether that's mental illness, there's, there's all sorts of issues. But she realized that you know there's no way that schools or teachers themselves are prepared to handle the trauma that many young people face. So I'm curious about the two of you. Both of you work with young people or in, in school systems, and you've obviously had your own traumatizing experiences. What what are your thoughts on how trauma impacts? how kids learn or operate or how teachers or adults take care of these kids that they're responsible for. Either one could go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, because, you know, that movie is so dear to me. Mm -hmm. I, I watched that, I think back in June or July. Wow. And I was like, oh my gosh, this has to go to Japan. <laughs> That's why I was like, <laughs> 
That's so awesome. I emailed them like without thinking, you know, without even knowing, but I, I, I'm glad I did. And then in the process, I learned so much more because when you translate, you really have to dig into each and every, you know, and then I don't know how many times I watched that movie doing that. Yeah. So, and then interestingly enough, um, Gabor Mate, who is the main, you know, mm-hmm. person who talks about trauma, he has a book called uh just scattered minds or something that Mm. he says adhd is a trauma response oh and i don't you know i don't think it's a hundred percent but when i was reading his book it really made sense Mm-hmm. that and then it's been passed on for generations mm-hmm. and then it kind of makes sense because when I do see a kiddo with that challenge chances are one of their parents have the same challenge and then mm-hmm. a lot of parents get diagnosed after their kids are diagnosed and then they start wondering like oh do I have it and then they mm-hmm. go through and they have it and then now that they think about it their parents probably one of them had it so mm. you know it could be genetic but it could be the trauma that keeps on going generational right. trauma they talked about that right and then it, it's it's a huge part of what I do because I'm all about your mind as parents or care- caregivers is the keys to unlocking their potential because mm. when you come in when you face them thinking that, oh my gosh, they can't do this. Or, you know, they, they, they have such challenges and they don't listen, they don't sit still, they don't, you know, like, what are we going to do? Then that, you know, that is not a very safe energy that you are carrying. Like when you are thinking negative thoughts that, oh, you know, there's something wrong with him, that they have a bigger antenna mm. for what people around them are thinking, feeling, they do. I think they have a huge antenna for that. So whatever you're thinking, you know, whatever um, you, your thoughts would get you into this physiological state of either safety or danger, in my opinion. Mm. And then they pick that up from a mile away. Mm. And that would, you know, get them into a fear mode because that's one of the things that we scan for. Like we always have a scanner going, yeah. am I safe? Am I safe? Am I safe? And then we do that unconsciously. And then we look for our environment. Is mm-hmm. there a tiger nearby? And then we look for what's inside. Like, am I hurting? You know, am I in pain? Mm-hmm. Am I hungry? And then there is, are people around me feeling safe or, you know, scared? Because mm-hmm. chances are, if, you know, a person um, next to me is scared, that means there's a tiger in your body. Yeah. So that's what's happening. Wow. And then when you think about that, you know, when you think about how much your thoughts, your state of being affects them, mm-hmm. then how much trauma you carry within you. Mm-hmm. Like in my speech, I talk about this, um, my relationship with my son when you know he likes to play games and then I would you know whenever I tell him like oh it's time to stop then it becomes this daily 
daily argument. And then, you know, he'd roll his eyes on me and then, oh my God, that would trigger me. And then I want to wring his neck, right? <laughs> and then this goes on every single day. And then he's, he's a teenager and this was really destroying our relationship. And, you know, it, it came to a point where I was like, this really has to stop. And as I was working through these things, I knew, you know, some tricks to kind of dig deeper into myself yeah. to see what's really going on. And then when I did dig in, like, okay, what's really bothering me? You know, what exactly is it? And then it turns out that I feel that I'm not heard, mm. which is the belief that I've carried ever since I was two and a half. When I was two and a half, my little sister was born. And then from the beginning, she had some health issues and she wasn't sleeping, you know, she, she wasn't getting enough milk, all of that. And then my mom had to, you know, work really, really Just hard to keep her. her healthy. Right. Mm. And I was two and a half and I picked that up. And although she paid a lot of attention to my well-being and then she told me that, you know, she loved me and then thank you for being so understanding and such a good girl. My mind, I made up this story that I have to be a good girl in order to be loved, all of that. So, um, so that was carried through me. And then I am not heard. I have to be a good girl. And then I have to be a nice person to be loved. So whenever my son would roll his eyes, that like, you know, would trigger me. It's like my, my wound. Yeah. And then, and then it, it just attacks me. And mm. my son's playing games have nothing to do with me losing it. Yeah. So sorry, it's long. But like everything that is not feeling good for you is related to your story mm -hmm. and when you think about that you know the trauma on the kids but on the trauma on the caregivers and parents and teachers huge so yeah that is a huge component in my opinion one of the things that i remember gabor mate mentioned uh, he's a retired physician and now is doing all of this work but he said we asked the wrong question we usually ask what's wrong with you or what's wrong with him? Oh, yeah, what's yeah. wrong with her? So the real question is, what happened to him? Or what happened to her? Or what happened to them? And that was such a meaningful reframe for me. You know, I work as a leadership coach and dealing with all different personalities. And some people are very sensitive to some things and others are don't care less. And so all of us have a different response to different stimuli, right? To different stimulus. And there's been interesting to reframe not that i necessarily work with people on a specific trauma i don't but i'm sure i bump up against stuff when things seem to be repetitive issues or when people are particularly hurt or offended or angry or irritated about something it could be linked to that mm -hmm. so it was fascinating i watched three or four of the of the talks during that space one about indigenous people and the trauma that's carried from generations oh, yeah. mm -hmm. also one for about gender identity and the impact that that's also had not only on the individuals that are that are identifying with a different gender than what perhaps they were born with 
but also the families and the impact that has on the families or the society. And then I also watched one about incarceration. I mean, these are all like, this was not like light, yeah, <laughs> light movie watching. No, no Pixar version of this. This is like <laughs> hardcore. But, um, but I want to, Sandra, I want to hear from you a little bit because I think you, you are dealing with other people's trauma, right? You are obviously not only, you're a survivor. You're a survivor of all of these different events that happen in your life. And you, you had some grief and trauma counseling. What was, what's been helpful about it? What, what have you learned about trauma for yourself in the process or the process of grief? Anything you want to share? With well, me? before I, um, before I talk about, before I answer that question, you might have to remind me of the question. Um, <laughs> That's fine. I'll come back to it. Okay. Go for it. But um, one of the things that I was studying before the fire was uh, I'm in graduate school and I was studying trauma in children. And what I'm trying to figure out is how to teach, how, how we should teach children who've been traumatized differently, uh, specifically with, um, well, we should treat, we, we should do it with all children, but I'm I was specifically looking at English learners. A lot of times, their trauma comes from uh, coming into the United, the, what they were going through before they came to the United States or the, the horrific trip, trip that they had coming to the United States, which is often very dangerous or something else that's you know, happened to them since they've been here. Mm -hmm. And I find that teaching uh, children that have been traumatized, um, some of them do not want to tell you their story, but some of them do want to tell you the trauma story. Mm -hmm. And teachers are not trained to listen to them or respond to them uh, in any way. We're not, it's not part of a training. So yeah. what I would love to do is kind of, I mean, I, I kind of developed my own ways of, of hearing children's trauma stories and uh, working with them so that they uh, feel more safe at school and can talk about whatever they want to talk about but it's not, it doesn't fit into the curriculum. Mm -hmm. And so what I would, so that's what I was studying before the, the fire. And so of course, at, you know, my brother died, at, I, I stopped, um, I, I was in a doctoral program and I was working on my, getting ready to work on my dissertation. And that's what I really wanted to be about. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that uh, either teacher training needs to be a little bit different or they need to have teachers that are specialized in working with those children in the buildings that know the different things that need to happen to have those kids feel successful. But like I said, the curriculum doesn't allow for that. Mm. No. And, but, I've, but I've been teaching full-time since 1984 um, and I've heard, you know, children who come from war-torn countries or children that are coming from countries of conflict, um, you see that they're different and that the, the regular things don't work with them. And one of the things that both teachers and parents have a tendency to do is to tell the child not to think about it anymore. You know, they keep, they're having nightmares, they keep talking about it, and they say, just stop thinking about it. And if you know more about trauma, you know that that doesn't happen, happen yeah. you know. Um, and 
there have to be ways in the schools that we can uh, deal with this issue better. But first we have to acknowledge that it's there. And we have to change our practices and maybe put the curriculum aside a little bit until the child is ready uh, for school. Uh, Because there's so many other things going on, not feeling safe Hmm. takes you out of the game. Totally. You know, yeah, we can't um, learn that way. We cannot. Or what you're learning is, you know, through this filter of not feeling safe. Hmm. So all these problems come up, you're like, you know, why? you know, you know, we even sometimes treat the children like they're just ungrateful. You know, you're here in the United States, it's, you know, we have all this, this money, all these resources, all this, all that, McDonald's, and, and you're unhappy and you're causing, or you're, you're causing trouble or you're, you know, getting into fights or you're not wanting to come to school. Well, they're dealing with an awful lot. Yeah. And, and we have to meet them where they are. And right now that's not happening. Mm-hmm. So now, of course, once I had this, you know, uh, this big trauma in my life, everything that I read about trauma triggered it. So I had to put it aside for a while. Wow. Um, but I hope to be getting back to it soon. And I hope to be able to have some kind of impact, at least on, mm. on my classroom, on my, on my work, on my job, uh, yeah. with being able to be a place for these kids to come and help them, you know, work through what they need to work through. But we need more help from um, school psychologists um, or, or someone. I mean, I don't, know that, I don't know that the position is there uh, that we need right now, but maybe, maybe, cre- maybe positions need to be created, maybe training needs to be created in schools for, to help these students because they're definitely there. And their traumas are different than um, you know, that kind of trauma from li- like living in a refugee camp is different from the kind of traumas that we usually look at with American children, which the trauma is coming from the family. But mm-hmm. a lot of times with these other children, the, the trauma is coming from the environment, from the government, from gangs, from, um, f- from starvation. Displaced. Yeah, being displaced. Displacement. Um, and even with my own family now, I've, you know, some, a lot of things that I've read and I've studied, you know, I've, I've seen them happen mm. when you lose everything. And um, so it's, it's, very, it's very real to me now. A lot of things that I've read and have, have um, really presented themselves in a very real way in my life, whether it's been for me or for my mother or for somebody else in my family. And I see how disruptive it is in your, in your life and how, um, how waking up screaming every night, you know, it, it affects everything. So the children need a lot of help, but we need to help them, but we don't have it down yet as to how to do it in the classroom, mm. you know, in the classroom is what I'm talking about. So that's something that I'm really very interested in and would like to learn more about. I didn't know about the wisdom of trauma, but I will definitely look into it. I think you would love it, especially in light of everything you just shared and what you're committed to and what you see that there's a need. And there's, there were a lot of different, I think there was an episode, I'll, I'll send you the link and I'll post it in the show notes too, but there was an episode around 
child rearing, I believe. And I don't know if it was specific to education or parenting, but I think that would be a really interesting one. You know, it's funny because, <laughs> so my mom, ever since she watched it recently, she asked, so Valerie, have, have you experienced any trauma when you were a child? <laughs> I'm just like, yes. <laughs> just like, what? <laughs> And I was like, but look, mom, here's the thing. And I have, and, and I, I told her specifically one example. So my dad was very expressive when he got angry, raised his voice, was very menacing in his tone. Um, and my mom was very conflict averse. And so she usually tried to pacify or just like blow it off and put a silver lining on it, right? So her, her style was a lot more, I would say maybe passive aggressive. My dad was aggressive. Mom was passive aggressive. I was just confused. And so oh. my three brothers and I uh, all have, we all have our own stuff to deal with. But for me, I, I didn't realize until last year, just a year ago, how much anger I carried in my body. I used to have chronic back pain for years on and off. And I did all sorts of things, massage, yoga, you name it. I went to, to this you know, 10 treatment session of rolfing, like structural integration, like all of that deep tissue stuff. And so I'm glad I did that because the gentleman that did it, he said, you know, you have a lot of tension in your psoas muscle. Psoas is known as emotion muscle that carries emotion. Mm. I was like, hmm, okay, we'll just massage it. We'll straighten this out, right? And then towards the end of our, of our session, he shared a book called The Mind-Body Connection by Dr. John Sarno. And I ended up reading the version that was specifically to healing back pain. And his connection is that we, you know, basically he didn't say the word trauma as he didn't call it out particularly, but usually any of the back pain that's chronic is from some uh, emotion, some emotion, some kind of emotion that we're avoiding or something that we're not expressing. And I realized, oh, it's in the, in the particular case of back pain, it was about anger. And I was like, anger, me? Now you guys don't know me well, but <laughs> like, do I look like a person that carries a lot of anger? No. And I started asking friends and family and they were just like, angry, Valerie? Mm. I mean, I've seen you frustrated or irritated, but I don't know if angry would be a word I use. And I'm like, that's a problem. <laughs> I'm like, for you know 40 plus years of my life no none of my close friends and family could say that i've been angry about something and there have been plenty of challenges in my life where i've had absolute right to be angry or you know express anger mm -hmm. and i hadn't i buried it i would rationalize it or just figure out a way to figure you know right inside in my body in my mind i would sort it through but i would carry it i would never express it so i got a i went on an anger tour <laughs> After I discovered that, and uh, and one of those, I I talked to my older brother because I remember him uh, specifically. I felt that he could have had he could have stepped up more when we were younger. That was in my, my the story was he wasn't you know he didn't act as an older brother when my dad would get upset and my mom wouldn't deal with it, and I felt like I had to be the one either to take the tension out of the room or do something. And my brother, older brother was much more intellectual and introverted. So he would just go off and read a book or something. That's how I saw it. So I called him up after I discovered that. And I was like, hey, you know what? I'm angry <laughs> at you. And he was like, okay. I explained, I just discovered this back pain I have. It's probably around some, some suppressed anger. And I think 
it, some of it was because I resented you for when dad was upset and angry and my mom wasn't dealing with that, that I had to be the one to, to say or do something to fix the home environment or stabilize things. And you would walk away. He was like, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, me too. He goes, yeah, we all got a lot of work to do, don't we? I'm like, yep. I mean, it was like 10 minutes, boom, boom. And the back pain went away. Wow. The back pain went away. You know, I, 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 have, <laughs> I happen to have this book. It's really happy. <laughs> it talks about all of the, you know, emotions that's, that's related to, um, so it's metaphysical, metaphysical anatomy. anatomy. Okay. It's really heavy. But yeah, according to this, I think back pain is lack of support. And support, it's yeah. Sense to you, right? Total. So yeah, amazing. That is. Cool. All of that to say, I think all of us as adults are traumatized too. So mm -hmm. it's no wonder that we're probably yeah. raising or not addressing traumatized children or traumatizing them unwittingly. What I, what I did tell my mom after she asked me that is that, look, mom, I can take responsibility for my role, the story I made up. It had nothing to do with you. I don't think you would have known. I, I certainly didn't <laughs> when I was a, 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 you know, when I was young, what was going on or how resentful I felt about it or how I had this role that I felt I had to be responsible for managing the humor or tension in the room. I'm like, I don't, now, if I knew that, I took that on for whatever reason, uh, but now I'm dealing with it. And I think our job as adults is to get really clear with what's going on over here. Yeah. You know, like what happened to me and how is that impacting how I'm responding to the situation, probably mm. reacting to the situation. Mm. So anything else that you guys want to add about that? We're, we're going to come close to our wrapping up here, but I want to hear any other thoughts you have or resources yeah. that would be helpful. Well, I, I'm so excited about, you know, Sandra, what she was, what she's all about. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, yeah, you have to put that, you know, off for until you feel like you're ready. But when you are, and in your mom too, I am learning movements that would send you to your cortex, like, you know, get you out of your fight or flight brain which is right here yeah <laughs> and your brainstem and then get more into your you know thinking brain over here what movement tell us a movement um let's say there's one um called thinking caps it, it's from brain gym uh, and i am not with brain gym but i am with uh, a company called brain works mm -hmm. and they do an amazing job and then sometimes they go out to, to schools and then they do some movements and then the effect is just phenomenal. Is there something you can show us now on screen? Yeah. Is it <laughs> yeah, there's one called thinking caps. And so what you do is you get on your ears, both of your ears, and uh -huh. you go from like the tip of your ears and then you kind of uncurl the outer you edge uncurl. of your ears oh, all the way down yeah all the way down right, Sandra, you, you gotta do it and then when you get to your earlobe you can kind of gently you know pull or because um over here is uh 
acupressure point for mm -hmm. brain. And then you do this again. And this time you go a little inward because your ears are full of acupressure point for all of your body. And then as you do this, you can have an intention like I am present mm -hmm. or, you know, I am calm or, you know, I am safe at school if it's really yeah. true. But and then you do this three times and the third time you go even like deeper and you just kind of massage your ears huh. with your intention i feel more then, peaceful already yes <laughs> this, yeah. okay this gets you out of fight or flight and then there are you know a whole other movements yeah. that would really calm you down and then there are simple movements and then you know kids love to move rather than sitting still yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. and then there's um one called I'm watching lazy. I'm trying to remember I'm trying to remember yeah. uh -huh. one called lazy eight and then you can do you know the infinity sign yeah yeah and then on both sides or they can draw or you know they can use colored pencils or whatever and then that like integrates both sides of the brain mm. and then get ready for learning and oh and then if you you know how you um come into a room and then you don't remember why you came here <laughs> right <laughs> yes. yes and then i usually do it on my palm or my lazy you know, eight. yeah lazy and then it pops out Ooh. And when i'm translating you know, sometimes I know the word, I know the perfect word that translates into Japanese, right? And But I, I just can't have it. But if you have it in your brain somewhere, if you do this, you can remember it. Oh. I, I would say 95% of the time, I remember. That's wow. cool. Forget your um, ATM password or, you know, whatever. <laughs> mm -hmm. What if I do it to someone else? Will they give me their password? <laughs> ah, there you go like, okay. you have to watch your intention oh man. oh man i'm sure we could continue to peel back and pull out more and more conversation this is really really interesting and i think obviously there's there's something to be shared both of you have selected topics to share with the world based on the trauma that you've experienced I don't want to take that for granted that trauma is also here to teach. I think there's an opportunity once we learn, once we understand it, once we can see that its role and heal it, obviously, could also be a wonderful tool and vehicle for us to teach something which the two of you have done so beautifully or in the process of. Now make sure to put your contact information out there for everybody who's interested in hearing more about your story, hearing more about the speech that you've, that you've crafted as a result of this experience. And, and now I wanna turn the attention kind of inward into our experience today. And I'm curious about after now having had this conversation on the podcast and sharing what you've shared and hearing each other's stories, what are you taking away from our conversation today? Sandra, let's start with you, Sandra, yeah. Hmm. Um, definitely want to learn more from Wakako. Um, I'm familiar with Brain Gym, the, some of their ideas, not, uh, not, not everything. Um, but also there's so much that you can learn from people. Um, 
there's so much you can learn from people that you just never expected to have those kinds of uh, like, like the kind of connections that Wakako and I now share. Like I had no idea. And it's always the best idea to get to know people, ask them questions so that they feel comfortable enough to share things that are really deep um, mm -hmm. with them. You're not going to get that out of a, just a hi, how are you, you know, conversation. Uh, you have to have the, you have to have the intention of getting to know the person mm -hmm. and wanting to make a connection with them. 100%. Um, so this has been a great experience for me. I've learned a lot, even though as well, one thing I learned is don't wear a headset. Um, <laughs> you missed that on our brain today. <laughs> do it as soon as I take them off. <laughs> and, and my earrings off. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, it was a great experience and I'm really glad that I did it. And um, I'm really glad I had this opportunity to get to know both of you better. That's so cool. Thank you, Sandra. I'm glad that you're walking away with uh, with that this that this fulfilled the the expectation when you said yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. What about for you? Yeah, it's pretty much the same thing. I didn't know all these things about Sandra and you. And I didn't think the conversation would go this way. <laughs> right. <laughs> And it's just amazing. You know, all you need is to ask questions. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's, it doesn't feel comfortable, you know? Yeah. But when you do, all kinds of things show up and it's just beautiful. I had so much fun. You know, I, I showed up all nervous, but now I, I'm just having fun. Thank you, Valerie. This has been great. Fantastic. It, I'm, now I'm curious about what, what were you most nervous about or what during our conversation did you feel most on edge about for either of you? Uh, when I was talking about my experience, because I don't do that very often. Yeah. Hmm. And I, I want to ask one more question about that, Wakako. So why don't you talk about it more often? What stopped you? I think not everybody's ready to hear it. And also that I'm not sure if I can like keep my composure. I, I you know, I broke out when you asked me, but the today I was you, yeah. ready for it. Right. Not, a, and, not an allergic reaction. You had tears. <laughs> you yeah. Broke out. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's sad. It is because it's very painful. Mm -hmm. um. every, every time I, um, I mean, I, I love talking about my son. I love talking about my brother, but it, also takes me back to that very painful and difficult time every single time. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, you have a pass and, you know, you can go 10 times and that's, and then it stops. There's, it seems to be limitless to um, what can take you back to that pain and how many times you can go even in one day. Yeah. So I think that um, just part of trying to stay, stay sane and protect yourself you know, you have to kind of um, not have, I mean, not, you don't stop thinking about it, but not have it like right on the tip of your tongue all the time. But yeah. at the same time, if you don't talk about it, people won't learn what you have to share with them, you know, if they want to learn it. Um, and there's a lot of people who have suffered, uh, have losses from COVID. I mean, so many people all around the world and very few people that I know talk about it. 
Mm. I do have some very good friends who shared with me about their COVID losses, but it's something about COVID. I don't know what it is that people don't talk about it. There's some shame. And there. Yeah. I, I don't know why though. I mean, you know, I, I don't know why there would be any, any feeling of anything other than loss about it but people are not talking about it with each other and we really need to support them when you think about how many COVID deaths there have been and how many long haulers there are people that are that survive COVID but they're still having severe issues you know physical yeah. issues we all need to get together and help each other and support each other and yeah. ask people how can I help you and mean it yeah. and do it um, and then that also means for me, if someone says, well, how can I help you? If there's something that they can actually do to help me, I need to say what it is that I need. And I wasn't always good at asking for help or articulating, you know, something that another person could do that would actually bring me comfort or make it a little bit easier for me in that moment. Mm. Oh, I, I totally hear that. You know, two, my two younger brothers both have COVID, both have had one a couple of months ago and his twin uh, just a week ago. His, I think his quarantine ended today. One was vaccinated, one was not. And what was interesting is that as a our nuclear family, we talked about it, obviously, and they talked about it with their, their, you know, their spouses and kids. And the kids, the younger kids did get it as well. Three of them were, were po tested positive although very little symptom. But what was fascinating is when we talked about sharing it with our greater family or friends, there was, they were like, no, there's something about talking about it that either gives people the impression or that's, that's what we were saying that for some people, the impression or the, the, the idea that people weren't being responsible or that you were, you know, is it real? Mm -hmm. Is it not? There was, there were too many add-ons to basic health. Like there was so much meaning added to being ill or not being ill or being diagnosed positive or not, that it was not worth the conversation with others. It was like, I prefer to just get better. I was like, you know, that's <laughs> fair. That is fair. And I, and I would hope that I think the same goes for trauma. There's so much shame and that some of us withhold or avoid talking about it or asking questions about it or keeping the space open enough for people to share. And I think that's the, that's the next frontier for us as human beings is how safe can we make it for other people to, to express and share traumatic things with us, or at least anything that might be impacting the relationship or impacting their performance or impacting the, the, the environment in ways that could support healing. I don't think that if you don't talk about it, we don't heal. And, and I, you know, a very practical example, I, I injured my Achilles tendon playing tennis several months ago, and I was just going to heal it on my own. So I stopped playing tennis for a while, obviously, because I just couldn't. I mean, it was the, on the extreme end. I couldn't walk for like three days. I had to use crutches to move around. So it was so painful, but I, know, I knew it wasn't torn or anything like that. I decided to do a lot of self-care, then started playing tennis again, but I noticed it was still a little bit tight. And I thought, okay, let me, let me go to my massage therapist and get some deep tissue massage in there. And he said, Valerie, you know how much scar tissue is here? And I mean, there were places where I was like, how is the scar tissue up that high? <laughs> it's like, because you've been compensating. 
Right. Your, your body's been compensating for your gait, for how you walk, for your, you know, for posture, all sorts of things. And, and it was painful as he was working through some of the scar tissue, but I realized that I was much more committed to having freedom and flexibility in order to enjoy my life rather than continue to compensate. And I think the conversation we had today was really about giving others the freedom to address trauma in ways that could free them and really openly not only express it, but also heal it. If we're not healing it, if we're just dealing with symptoms or if we're not creating a space where, where people have permission to share or talk about it, it could in, infringe on how people move in the world and how much, how, how well they perform, perform or how well they communicate or how well they, they're able to, you know, be, how resilient they are. And so anyway, that's, that was a long way of saying thank you for sharing today. I'm so happy that you guys were both comfortable enough to share with me and share with others that are listening and watching this. Now, any final, final words before we wrap up for our, our session? Well, I wanted to just speak to a couple of things that you mentioned. Um, yeah. My son did, was not careless. He wasn't vaccinated because the vaccine wasn't out yet, but he was not careless. He was a very healthy person. Um, he did have, you know, you know, one other problem, but it was new. He didn't even know he had it. And he was living with my mom and we talked very openly and honestly about what we, what everybody who had anything to do with my mother had to do to keep her from getting COVID. Cause mm -hmm. clearly as an elderly person, um, you know, that would have been, that probably would have been devastating for her. Um, but he did what he was, you know, he did the things that he wanted to do that he was, did he was supposed to do. And protecting my mother was very, very high on his list of things to do. And even after he got COVID and uh, we didn't know for a while, we didn't know he had it. Um, but he, even when he shared an apartment with my mother, he didn't give it to her. You know, she didn't catch it from him. It's really, really very conscientious. Mm. And so I think that it's a, you know, it's an illness, it's a virus and there's no sh shame in getting it. The, um, and he didn't want, he didn't want a whole lot of attention either. I was the one that was putting the attention on him, mm. but it was to make sure that um, he was okay. That he had enough to drink, that he was hydrated, that he was eating. You know, I had people go and check them because I was in a very, I'm in a very high risk category, so I couldn't really get near them. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, sent people over there and checked on them every day. And that is really important. Like even if that person, especially young people, especially millennials, they don't want a whole lot of, you know, fuss about stuff. But you got to pay attention. Like one of the things I did was I sent a pulse oximeter over to him. And I said, and you use this, you know, this hour, this hour, this hour, and you write down what the numbers are. And when I call you, I want to know those numbers. Mm. And that is when he knew that he needed help and when he needed to go to the emergency room. So, mm. um, sounds like a responsible. Yeah. He's a, he took, definitely took that from you, taking care <laughs> of other people, yeah. being responsible, being the caretaker and provider. Mm. Thank you, so, Sandra. 
Thank you. Okako, any final, oh. final? Oh, thank you. Thank you. And, and, and it's been a pleasure talking to you and getting to you, getting to know you two better. And I can't wait to talk a little more. There's more. There's <laughs> more. Very good. And if there are any other resources about ADHD or about COVID or about advocacy or about any of the things that you all are passionate about and you study that you'd like for me to share, I'll make sure to add that to the to the show notes so people have access to those as well. And I'll put in information about the wisdom of trauma. So I think is a worthwhile uh, watch. Good. Okay. Thank you so much, the two of you, for sharing Thank once again. You. My pleasure. And for those of you who tuned into this episode of Not Quite Strangers, thanks again for tuning in. I'm so excited that you have the opportunity to learn something new or perhaps see things from a different perspective. And I hope that you subscribe. Go to www.notquitestrangers.com so that you have access to every single episode, including this one. So thank you all so much for tuning in. Have a wonderful rest of the day, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to the podcast, Not Quite Strangers. Be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite video or podcast platform. And for more information and content, go to notquitestrangers.com. See you next time.